Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hello, hello. Welcome along to another episode of Talking CFD, the podcast that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. Now, as a CFDist of whatever flavor, you've probably noticed an increasing number of open source CFD codes and tools in recent years. Now, Maybe you don't really know or really care what open source means, or maybe you have some strongly held opinions on the matter. It's not unknown for that to happen. Either way, one of the most interesting bits about open source is that it allows people who do have an opinion about how something should be or how it should work to actually do something about it. And today I'm joined by two guys doing just that. Darren Stevens and Chris Sidoroff from Applied CCM with us today. You might know those guys via Kalis, their open foam fork, but we'll come back to that later. Welcome along, guys. Good day, Robin. Yeah, thanks, Robin. Now, this interview has the potential to evoke some strong opinions. So I just want to know, are you guys on the chamomile tea or the triple espresso today? Uh, I'm just on water, Robin. So that could go either way then. Yeah. Um, so I introduced you guys as Applied CCM, and I also mentioned Kalis. But before we go on to talk about Kalis, can you give us a bit of background about Applied CCM, how it came about, what you guys do, what revenue streams you have, that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. I'll start and Chris will chime in a bit later. Uh, I guess I, I kicked Applied CCM off in Australia in 2011, uh, and that came about because I was observing a lot of companies getting into open foam, but effectively jumping in the deep end and almost drowning. Um, and I saw that there was an opportunity to apply my expertise in helping a lot of these companies get past the, the very steep learning curve. So Applied CCM started by effectively a service-based business, providing support, training, uh, and a little bit of development to, to companies in Australia. And I guess uh, Chris came on board a little bit later on and I guess we now provide those services worldwide. Yeah, so that's, I mean, the reason why I started was, you know, virtually identical to Darren's. It's just I'm a little later to the game. Um, I started last year, at the beginning of last year, and it's just, again, the, the, there's just a bit of a void in the, the direct local services in, in Canada. So we're just here to provide training, support, and development consulting services. So that's the bulk of what you guys do day to day, is it? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, at least in my, my observation is uh, Darren's a little bit, has been in business a little bit longer than me, and he's got into the more of the development end because he's developed a pretty strong reputation in his market. And so I'm kind of a little bit more at the beginning, so it's more on the support and training side and working towards the, the bigger the bigger ticket items. Now, I was going to claim that we'd blown the Talking Safety budget and flown Darren in from Australia to, to be with you today in a <laughs> That's Life kind of style in over in Canada. Um, but... It might be truer to say that you'd been to the Pointwise UGM. And Pointwise, there's a bit of a Pointwise thread that runs through the Applied CCM story. Is that right? Correct. And that and that's actually how we first met. Um, I was actually working at Pointwise back in uh, 2011. And uh, I forget what how Darren found us or found me, but he, he called me up. I remember sitting in my office about 5.30 or 6 p.m. one afternoon, and uh, he called me up to talk about, uh, you know, interest in distributing Pointwise in Australia. And then... So I've since left Pointwise and gone off to pursue my own interest back in Canada. So that was that was the original connection to Pointwise. And then when I started Applied CCM in Canada, it just was natural that I would want to sell it in Canada as well, just to provide some pre-processing, um, you know, expertise and, and capabilities in, in up here. 
Yeah, and I guess, well, I, I found Chris uh, because of, yeah, I was starting Applied CCM and it was heavily open source based around open foam and uh, the, the meshing in open foam isn't that great. And so I was looking for high quality mesh generation. And as soon as anyone starts looking for that, you come across Pointwise pretty quickly. And I was lucky that they didn't have a distributor in Australia. And I, so I guess I kicked off the discussions with, can I be your, I guess, man on the ground in Australia? Uh, and I contacted Chris at the time because he was their technical sales guy. And I, I guess what he didn't say in that was I gave him some pretty tough challenges. I gave him some pretty tough geometries first and, and said, here, if you can mesh these, you have me sold. Uh, he had me sold overnight because he actually gave me meshes back the next day. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I guess I went to the US and caught up with the Pointwise guys and became a distributor in July 2011. And then I, you know, Chris was still at Pointwise for a few years there. So I, I've known him, I guess, while he was at Pointwise and then since he's left Pointwise. So latching on to Pointwise was you know, about getting the best tools for the job, I guess, for your consulting work that you were doing. And that was kind of the impression that I got when um, you were talking about some of the developments that you were doing with Open Foam. You were kind of um, honing that framework for what you needed. Uh, is that where Kalis came from? Yeah, Kalis. When everyone, anyone asks us where Kalis came from, I always start with it was a bit, bit of a selfish uh, decision, I guess, in that Kalis was originally developed for our own purposes. Uh, we needed a robust platform. We call it as industrial hardened. And that was for ourselves doing consulting as, as well as our customers that we were supporting. Uh, and then I guess we made the decision that why should we keep this from everyone? Let's give everyone what we're working on. Uh, I, I guess probably from the open foam so, uh, or open source side of things. Uh, so, so that was the genesis of Kalis. It was self-serving in the beginning, and I guess you know we've now released it out to everyone else. I tell you what, that reminds me of a little bit, and you can tell me whether this is fair or not. But um, there are a couple of, to use the the phrase that you did, hardened um, Linux distributions. So they they take a um, something like uh, Red Hat and sort of security harden it, and then release that for people for whom that's important. Is that is that a similar thing? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, that was effectively the model is that, um, um, you know, Red Hat was what I had in mind. I mean, that was kind of what Red Hat's known for, even though Linux per se is free and many distributions are strictly free. And when I say free, I mean free is in, free, free is in beer, not free is in freedom, which they both are. But um, and again, Red Hat was the model. So we were trying to, again, look at, I mean, Darren used industrial hardened and, and stability. I mean, that was, so our, and the, the main focus then and now is, is maybe less about features and, and more about just making sure it's just validated, tested, um, looking at things deep in the library, um, you know, fixing kind of very esoteric bugs and, and, and problems and stuff like that. So that's really been our main focus. So it's, it's, you know, less colorful and flashy, but uh, more about, um, you know, just being able to increase our own productivity. So I think if I, I think I called it a, an open foam fork earlier, or if I didn't, then I'm calling it an open foam fork now. Is that, is it correct to call it that? And before we get too far down the line, for those of us who aren't all that familiar, what is a fork um, when it comes to, uh, to open source code? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, a fork is, is just what it says. I mean, you, you've, I guess, for whatever reason, um, there's some sort of disagreement, whether it's philosophical or technical, with maintainers of a particular open source piece of software, and you choose to, you know, make a copy of, of that software and, and host it elsewhere and, and, and make your own decisions about what's going to happen with the future of that piece of software. And and on top of that, I mean, um, it, it, it's typically or should be also renamed to, to make it, you know, uh, to distinguish it from the original uh, variant of that software. And so, I mean, that was a kind of a high level thing. So, yeah, we, we also like to use the word derivative rather than fork. Uh, I guess the point where you split off, we forked from OpenFoam, but Kalis is really a derivative of OpenFoam. We, we've, the base is derived from OpenFoam and we've modified that in some locations and added to it. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I guess it was forked, or it, it is a fork, technically speaking, but, you know, now now in its history, it's, it's kind of deviated from open foam uh, uh, enough that that is kind of, you know, it's pretty distinct. I mean, so you can read and write the same file formats as open foam, and, and you know, the, the behavior of it is, you know, very analogous, but in terms of, its direction and its capabilities, it's, it's pretty distinct. So fork, as in the verb, it, uh, a fork occurred and now it is a, uh, a derivative. I guess it gives people a kind of, who aren't familiar with it, perhaps a little shorthand or a shortcut to, to have an idea of what it is. Um, how is it different? You say you kind of industrially hardened it. Is that, I mean, it's a, open is a big thing these days. Did you have to attack the whole thing or...? How did that work? Well, I'll, I'll let a little bit, and I'll let Darren. I mean, he's he's a little bit better at the really little level details than me. I'll kind of give my kind of top level perspective. But I mean, it was kind of, I mean, you know, OpenFoam is somewhat known for its its sensitivity to meshes, uh, mesh quality, and stuff like that. So that was kind of a a large focus is you know what's going on there. Um, so for that was looking at discretization schemes. So so what can we do within the low level discretization schemes to, uh, you know, over, overcome this, you know, perceive, whether it's real or perceived sensitivity to mesh quality. Yeah, and some other ones, um, we have some expertise with linear solvers, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty rare trait to have in, in the CFD world. So it was like making them more robust in terms of like, you know, the convergence, um, parallel scalability, you know, all these kind of, of things is, so rather than adding, you know, the 37th, 38th, and 39th turbulence model, and, you know, all these different, you know, post-processing capabilities, which, you know, there's people even outside of OpenFoam that are using OpenFoam to develop some great stuff. So it's not like there's a lack of ability or, or people out there in the community doing that stuff. So for us, it's what, how can we use our unique expertise to make, you know, an OpenFoam or an OpenFoam-based uh, piece of software, um, more kind of palatable to the, to the to the commercial world, and and one of the, one of the biggest things we started with was we actually took a fair bit out. Uh, so a lot of the solvers that misbehaved, some of the compressible solvers, they all disappeared. Uh, we cut back a lot of the turbulence models to focus on uh, checking and validating those that we left behind. And I guess some of the biggest changes in the first release was that we completely changed the build system to SCONS, which is a Python-based build, and that immediately gave us cross-platform uh, capability. There was a fair bit of work to make it compile on Windows, uh, and for that we used MinGW and a lot of the work from Rich Smith at Simscape, 
which I know a lot of other people have used. So in, in the beginning, the first release of Kalis was really, let's make it cross-platform, compile, and pair back some of the functionality that was problematic and maybe not as well tested and do some validation. And then through that, we've been gradually going through. So we didn't take it all on in one big go because I think we probably would have given up if we tried. We've taken pieces of it and then gradually worked through those, uh, looking at gradient schemes, convection schemes, and just, just making sure that they're all implemented and tested and I guess verified and validated that, that they're true and correct. And as we've gone and done these little bits and pieces, we've got more robustness, more speed uh, out of Kalis from release to release to release. So it wasn't a case of just taking out the things that you didn't use. It was also a case of taking out things that perhaps were bleeding edge, to be polite. So you said it sort of started out as a, an in-house need. Um, that's where I'm coming from in terms of, did you get rid of all the things that you guys don't use um, and then start from there? Uh, not strictly speaking, but it was more of the top level stuff like like turbulence models and, and solvers that were maybe not even necessarily bleeding edge, but just like that were just undocumented or there wasn't a well-known reference that we could check against. And and it was like, you know, the idea was that, well, if somebody wanted to bring it back, then there would be at least some effort in terms of testing it and validating it and, you know, providing a reference for the work and stuff like that. One thing that we almost skipped over then it sounded you mentioned it and we we kind of didn't i didn't circle back around to it that makes it sound like it's not significant is the cross-platform aspect of it so kalis runs everywhere does it correct i mean at least on uh, yeah i mean on the three major platforms so windows yeah. mac and linux um and it's in its native the, the key is that it doesn't require any sort of cross-platform environment doesn't require a virtual machine it doesn't require any sort of software container so like in the windows particularly we provide mingw which is just the gcc compiler environment in, in a bash shell and when you build and compile the libraries and executables they're native so you, if you took away mingw it would still run so there's no there's no dependency on any other kind of third-party yeah, piece of I, software the, the important there, point there is that the mingw we use is actually a derivative of the MinGW project, because that one's only 32-bit. We actually use a 64-bit version, which Microsoft had a hand in helping out uh, to automatically or link directly with the Microsoft DLLs, etc. So that's why we say it's native. Once the code's compiled, you don't need the MinGW installed on a computer. And in fact, you know, you can download the binaries of Kalis. It comes with a source as well for Windows. But if you just download the binaries, you can run them. You don't need any other environment. We wrapped a little bit of Python there to help people out as well. So we, we have some Python wrapping, which we actually borrowed a fair bit from Freefoam uh, because those guys had, I guess, pioneered some of the Python and CMake build system for their version of their fork of OpenFoam. Uh, and so we use that and we're gradually developing more and more Python wrapping to help people use it especially because it's still command line driven on all three platforms. Do you guys have a handle on what's most popular in terms of the, the binaries, the source code or the platforms? In terms of platforms, without a doubt, Windows is the most popular because we there's a little download counter on the Kalis website. And uh, I think it I think it roughly outnumbers the other two combined by a factor of two to one. Yeah. Wow. And most people, well, I guess... Most people downloading Windows will download the binary. So as I said, we package 
what we call a source only and then a binary in source. Uh, we always give the source code whether there's binaries involved or not. Uh, and that's just our adherence to the GPL, or at least we don't want to have to have people contact us for the source. Um, and so therefore you can download the binaries that comes with the source. And most people downloading Windows will be downloading the binary package. Uh, but I guess most people downloading Mac or Linux are probably downloading the source version. So I, th I think it just goes to show the type of people and the, the way people are used to working on those operating systems. Kind of as a loaded question, do do open phone forks detract from the main code stream from the community or is it additional? Yeah, we we were, we were kind of chit-chatted about this. And I mean, and there's been some few conversations pop up on social media and some of the forums and stuff like that. And I mean, the honest answer is probably yes, but I think maybe the better way, the, the, you know, the follow-up to that kind of question and, and answer is that I think that forking is is a is a kind of a byproduct of how the the main version has been maintained by the by the maintainers. If if there's some harmony and if there's a good collaboration between the the, the software maintainers and the community, then I don't think you see forking show up. I mean, so the you know the obvious examples are like Linux. I mean, there's not really any forks of Linux because it's a really strong harmonious community, and there's probably lots of other examples that I can't bring up. Oh no, the other one we talked about was. Uh, at the point when I was user group meeting last week, there was an excellent talk by Thomas Economon, uh, from, uh, Stanford, who is the lead developer of SU2, the, uh, the other, uh, really popular open source safety software. And, you know, um, it seems that there seems to be a lot of harmony between his community and, and the maintainers. And so, and so that even though they have their code on GitHub and it's been, I think he said forked two over 200 times. There isn't a distinct fork of it out there. They they always submit pull requests back, and there's about four or five different independent project uh, products going on. But all those capabilities are coming directly back in. So, so I think forking is is a kind of a is maybe an indicator of of you know the kind of communication and the kind of the harmony between the maintainers and the community uh, that are using the software. I'd probably use the word engagement as well. There. Engagement, yeah. Yeah. Are, are the maintainers engaging the community? Uh, or is it a one-way street? Um, if it's a one-way street, you tend to see a lot of forks. And if, if it's a two-way street, then you tend to see a lot of people forking, but then the, those forks being done as pull requests back. And I think that's what you see with SU2. The other thing that SU2 seem to be doing quite well is, whilst they haven't published a roadmap, they have just developer meetings. They had one recently in Europe uh, where they get together the people that are interested in developing and, I guess, contributing at the higher level and they discuss their plans so you know you often hear with open foam there's there's people out there saying well why aren't you developing your add-ons to work with the uh, foundation or the original version the problem there is that the original version we have no idea where it's going we can't tell you what functionality is going to be there today tomorrow or in three months time and if we're doing development and validation we could be doing that on a version today that our code doesn't work with tomorrow. And so we're constantly in a catch-up mechanism there. And I think a lot of people in the open foam community uh, would be doing this, feeling the same thing. And so I guess the lacking of that engagement and maybe a roadmap of where they're going is potentially the reason why you have all these forks. 
you mentioned uh, pull requests a few times, and we, we're mentioning forks and things like that. For people who aren't familiar with the the process, if you like, how is this sort of stuff supposed to work? How is a sort of community based open source code supposed to work? Yeah, the whole pull request idea that actually thinks. I think I believe it comes right out of, out of Git itself, which is a, a version control version control software. You know, everybody has their own local copy of the source code, and so the whole idea with the pull request is that, um, you know, let's say the maintainers have their version on wherever. Let's say GitHub; it's a publicly available um, site that you can store source code repositories. Somebody comes along and creates a fork. Whatever changes and commits they make don't affect the original version. And then where the pull request comes in is that they've, they've made their changes, they're happy with them, and they would like those changes now to go back into the in, into the original uh, code. It, it'll, it allows independent development very easily. So a way for an independent developer to raise his hand and say, look, I've done something, take a look. If it's any good, it's yours. Yeah, I think your description was much better than mine. Nice and succinct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Bringing it back around to a sort of more businessy aspect, if I can download the source code from wherever it might live, how do you guys make any money out of that? Well, I mean, we talked about it at the beginning. I mean, so just it's around the service aspect. So um, we develop our own training. So we train people on the software. Um, we provide support. So, I mean, so, you know, one of the common, I don't know if it's a misconception or not, but I'll state it anyways, is that just because a piece of software is free is in charge to download, doesn't mean there's no cost to use that software. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's, it, you know, it just takes a while to learn how to use a piece of software. So, I mean, time is money. You need an expert to either provide you with training or also provide you with technical support. So those are, I think the two most common aspects is training and technical support. And I guess the one that we do that is a, is a little bit different is we also have a subscription based model. So Kalis is fully free and available. And then we have some, I guess, more advanced add-ons that we've done. Uh, we have a fast transient solver. We have a joint solvers and tangent solvers for optimization. And I guess at the moment we're working on overset capability. Those we offer to our customers via a subscription where they uh, uh, pay a fee to access the source code. And at the same time, they're also accessing um, support and assistance in using that to i guess put in their workflows and, and make the most of it so so it was kind of like uh again it was modeled after kind of how red hat does it right you just you pay an annual fee and then you get access to a repository of, of software that you know that and, and with some support and some training and stuff like that so that that's that's kind of the other one and then and then i mentioned at the beginning i i would say a bigger one that's getting bigger and bigger for us is just developing new capabilities that just don't exist. I mean, so like, um, yeah, so like development contracts and things like that. You've mentioned validation a couple of times so far in there, so it must be quite important. What does that mean to you guys in terms of producing a, a CFD code? I mean, I think it's probably the most important thing you can do with a CFD code. I mean, I mean, there's two aspects to developing CFD software. I mean, it's the, you know, your expertise in developing the software so that it runs, but I mean, getting it to run is just, is, is, you know, probably even less than half the battle. The other battle is that making sure that, you know, whatever physics you're trying to mimic or model, you know, it, it, it produces some sort of result within a known error against, um, some, some, you know, some known results. So, mm. so that it's, again, it's about reliability and predictability, right? It, yeah. It's, it's also from an open source perspective, it's probably one of the biggest things that I find commercial companies feel that open source lacks 
is they think all, all these people are just writing code and sticking it out there and no one's testing it. Uh, you know, if you buy commercial CFD software, often there's a, there's a sense that that's been tested or gone through some rigorous process to ensure that, you know, if applied to standard type problems, we'll give you the same answer. Uh, that, that same thinking doesn't apply to open source. Whether it's true or not, it's a different story. But so our aspect, and again, this was the selfish thing. If we do consulting, we want to have the confidence that the results we're getting for our customers are as accurate as we can. And the only way to do that is to ensure that the software we're using has been validated. So uh, validation has also come at a cost. If you look at Kalis, the pace of development of Kalis is is nowhere near, I guess, the the Open Foam Foundation version. Well, at least in terms of features. Yeah, in terms of features, because we spend a lot of time on doing validation to ensure that the this, the features and solvers that we've added give the best results they can against published experimental data or sometimes it's, um, you know, accepted CFD solutions because sometimes there's no experimental data around, uh, but there's accepted CFD results. So I guess val- validation is very important to us. But is that something that you guys have had to take on yourselves or is it something that you do in partnership with, with other people, maybe institutions that perhaps are, are creating experimental data or something along those lines? Well, initially it was all by ourselves, but now that there's, as people start to use it, we've, um, there's been some, we're starting to see some engagement on that side. In fact, um, uh, one of my, one of my point wise clients was an, uh, an academic institution out in Western Canada that, that in fact, they're, they're using Kalis this fall for his safety, for his graduate safety course. And he contacted us about using, uh, or actually, excuse me, engaging us to help them set up some validation cases that they can use to, you know, for his CFD course. So, so it's, I think it's, there's a bit of a switch going on here. I mean, it was up to us mostly now, but as we go along, we're, we're seeing people more and more interested in contributing at least validation cases back for sure. Is there a mechanism or an easy way for, for people to be able to do that? I mean, it, we've talked about how you would contribute back um, code or to, to flag that you, that you'd done some development, is there a way for people to collaborate around a validation exercise? Yeah, I guess, I guess it's probably no different to the code code way of things. Usually it's people contact us via email or meet us at a conference, etc. And our requirement is usually quite simple. Uh, if you've done a validation exercise, provide us the, the code that supposedly has been validated. Uh, documentation for that validation so either a report or whatever and access to the data if you can provide scripts that automatically do the validation so you know calculate profiles etc so that we can test because all of our validation we've done when we release a version of Kalis we actually go through and rerun it on that version so we're gradually developing a test harness as well of validation cases so it's not all automated at this stage there's still a lot of manual work there but uh, we're always willing to to talk to people that are willing to contribute back especially for validation because it's very important it's no use developing software if no one can trust it yeah so just back to your question robin too is just yeah like darren said just email or you know some people contact us on the cfd online forums or or just meet us and uh, we're happy to put stuff in you know provided there's just some basic guidelines that are met and then um oh yeah the other one is we we're always pretty we carefully we make sure that they're uh, attribution is included. You know, we, we want to make sure that people get acknowledged for whatever they contribute back, whether it's validation cases or, or actual software itself. 
Did you ever consider backing another open source package, so like Code Saturn or SU2 that you've already mentioned? Is anybody doing it better? Well, I don't know about going back. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just make my comment here. But I mean, SU2 is quite a bit newer than than OpenFoam. I think OpenFoam is what twelve years old. Twelve years. Yeah, twelve years old. And so SU2, I think Thomas was saying last week, it's now five years old. But I mean, at least from a community and collaboration point of view, and kind of just a general harmony. I mean, it appears to me that SU2 is is doing it right. Um, if you look at the healthy, growing open source software communities, they seem to kind of fit that. Whereas I don't know, OpenFoam, it is and it isn't. You know, there's there. You know, we we talked about the forks, and and the forks is an indication of the health or lack thereof. You know, I think OpenFoam has a lot of work to do. I guess from my perspective, uh, SU2 is five years old. That's how old applied CCM in Australia is. So SU2 was only being released when I was starting my company. And if you write one back to the beginning of this discussion, I, I started because I saw a niche where uh, companies in Australia needed help using open foam. So I guess that's why I selected open foam originally was because people were already using it. I already had some expertise in it from a prior job. Uh, so I didn't look around at anything else as, as really just from an open source perspective. I, I guess Kalis has evolved out of applied CCM activities and where applied CCM started was providing support development training for open phone companies based in Australia. So it's a bit of an evolution thing. I guess if we were to start over today, would we use open phone? Uh, maybe not. Uh, maybe we would use something else. Uh, and, you know, can't guarantee it'd be SU2, but uh, SU2 uh, probably wouldn't have resulted in a Kalis. How would somebody who wanted to, to be a part of your community around Kalis and, and contribute get involved? Yeah, we're we're I've been we've been openly openly soliciting that. I mean, so the, anyway, I mean, email us, phone us, social media, just speak up. Uh, we're happy to take people and uh, like again. There's basically three of us that work on it. It's obviously a fairly significant piece of software that for three people to be able to kind of maintain and test and develop. So if there's a particular niche or application or anything that you're, you're particularly strong, we're happy to kind of like, you know, include you in the whole development process and, and perhaps at some point put you in charge of that, of that, of that piece of the software so that, um, you know, I mean, clearly it, it, it makes sense for somebody who's more of an expert in a particular piece of physics or, or the library to take care of that. And So um, so what's next for Kalis and or Applied CCM? We're actually working on the next release. We currently do a six-month release cycle. We release in April and October each year. And so at the moment, we're actually going through, I guess I'd call probably validation testing. So the development's been finished for, for the next release of Kalis for about a month now. And we go through and... So when we do the testing, we don't just do it on one platform. We do it on all the operating systems and certain several versions. So there's about nine different uh, platforms and operating system combinations that we test Kalis on. So we're going through that at the moment. We haven't got it 100% perfect yet or where we'd like it to be for sensitivity to mesh quality. Uh, you, you still have issues with getting good convergence on what we'd class as poorer meshes. Uh, not all of our customers use pointwise, and so they don't all have the ability to generate high-quality meshes. And because of that, we need to make sure that the code can tolerate meshes of lower quality. Yeah, in terms of new features, I think the one maybe other users don't see it as a big ticket item, but I see it as a big ticket item is just some enhancement to the linear solvers. Um, the first of all, there's, a, there's some new preconditioners, which are good for two things. One, they're just 
generally good for uh, robustness and stability, and particularly in parallel. And then on top of that, which was a bit of a bonus, is now pretty much across the board, at least for the incompressible solvers, we're seeing about a 20 to 25% increase in, in, in speed. So we're pretty excited about that. Sounds pretty cool. When you were saying uh, you were improving it on low-quality meshes, I was wondering how you'd got hold of my meshes. But <laughs> So for people who are liking the sound of an industrially hardened uh, CFD package, where should they go right now? The two biggest ones are our website. You can go to appliedccm.com, and then Kalis has its own website. It's Kalis, C-A-E-L-U-S-C-M-L.com. The CML just stands for Computation Mechanics Library. So it has its own website, which has kind of a list of its features and where you can download the installers and binaries. You can get a hold of us. You can find the software. And both those have contact details on those websites. Uh, any of those emails actually come to both Chris and myself. And generally, someone replies within 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for people that are interested in Kalis and have basic questions and it's even even some basic support, we're not going to stonewall you and say, no, you got to take out a support contract. I mean, at this point, we're just happy to get people using it. If there's a little stumbling block, um, there's been, I don't know, probably a dozen questions on the safety online forums. So, so we're happy to do that. We'll, we try to respond as quickly as we can. Cool. Thanks for coming on, guys. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Busy guys. So, uh, I again, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for including me. Th- this, this has been thanks, interesting. Robin. If you like what you've heard and you don't want to miss out on future episodes, then join our email list over at talkingcfd.com and I'll keep you in the loop.